0: The Houston Texans collect and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up for What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's three days of drafting is now done and we've got nine picks plus a raft of free agents and it finally feels like we're taking some material steps forward into the future. But I couldn't think of anybody better to chat this one through with is uh, Mr. Jordan Punn and um, Texans underscore thoughts. Jordan.
1: I'm doing great, man. This draft put me in a great mood. I was really happy with a lot of the draft class. Happy to talk ball and excited with you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a great time talking with you. I'm excited.
0: Well, let's appreciate it. And uh as you always say the tape don't lie. So uh mm-hmm. let's talk about the tape of these guys and let's see see what you got. But um what was your kind of just overall thoughts of the weekend, the whole draft as a whole in Vegas? Probably wasn't quite as spectacular as maybe some kind of people thought, or there was certainly premonitions of it, the canceled rearranged one pre-covid and all that kind of stuff but what did you make what did you what did you make of it
1: all the event looked great it looked great i think you know it was great to see so many of these college kids like being able to fulfill their dreams and see like the emotions on their faces when they get the call and you get to see the reaction to it and you know their their life is their dream is coming true you know they get to play professional football in the nfl so it's, it's it was a really great moment to see all that
0: yeah, no, definitely. And I think the the Texans draft class certainly had a distinct feel to it. It felt like very much local, and I know they'll not make yeah. anything of that, but interesting, heavily balanced towards the SEC, um, kind of general kind of solid players, but big focus on character. Some interesting answers from Casario. Um, I know he talked about the... You're not get, you don't get drafted to get endorsement deals, you get drafted to be a, a ball player and stuff like that. So I think all that kind of stuff um, uh, influenced their, their, their first overall.
1: With the third pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Derek Stingley Jr., defensive back LSU.
0: Okay, so let's just get right into Derek Stingley at number three. What did you make of the Stingley pick?
1: Honestly, I was shocked because in the past, like, 48 hours leading up to the draft, we had heard that, you know, Nick Casario loves Stingley. And I was like, Casario, for this entire time we've known him, he's always played his cards close to his chest. He's never really wanted to have stuff like this leak out. So, like, I thought it was just a smokescreen. I thought they were trying to send that out there. Say, oh, we love Stingley. Maybe try and get another team to trade up for him or just hide the fact that, you know, we like a different player. Maybe it was Sauce, maybe it was Kayvon, someone else. So I was shocked personally. Um, but, you know, the pick makes a lot of sense. This is how Nick Casario likes to build his teams, you know, back to front from the secondary first. So he gets his next, like JC Jackson, Stephon Gilmer, you know, that alpha cornerback one. Hopefully Stingley can can live up to his uh, hype and his potential man.
0: Yeah, I got a text about six hours before, yeah. uh, and it said, Stingley, that was all it said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I was predicated on a couple of things. And I I, think they, they got it out there because they wanted to see who else was convicted on them and wanted to mm. take a chance at that 2019 tape. Could be his, you know, yeah. permanent level. And I think when when you think about the position of corner, Jordan, it's a year to year position. The f- the level of physicality and athleticism required to be elite at that position is second to none um in mm-hmm. many senses. Because there's no, you can't you can't hide with a hamstring injury. You can't strap up your knee and expect to mirror a match, uh you know, a wide receiver or elite one certainly. So, what yeah. did you think of taking the cornerback position three? Because it's been very over the history of the draft, very very rarely done.
1: Very rarely done. Um, I guess the last one that comes back to recent memory is Jalen Ramsey, that being that high. I don't even think he was at three. He was at it was five, five
0: years. Year. Yeah.
1: So top three pick cornerback, I think it's only happened like a handful of times in NFL history. So you need to live up to a high, you know, degree of of production. Perennial Pro Bowler, all pro, you know, to get that kind of return on investment. Um, so that kind of gives Derek thing high expectations. But then at the same time, you kind of think about you know, every draft class is different. And it's been talked about how this draft class was not the consensus and didn't have the stars up top. And so you might not, no matter like where you're picking, no matter what position, you might not get that same return on investment as you would in previous years, like last year with all the quarterbacks and elite talents like Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase and stuff like that. Like this year was just not simply as strong as other years. And so it's not necessarily Nick Casario's fault, you know what I mean? To like, pick a corner that high that's just like how the draft class turned out to be yeah. that's what he was seen as one of the best players in that draft class so to me i'm not too worried about it um it does put higher expectations on him but man this is a guy we've seen play at the highest level of college competition when he was 18 years old as a true freshman like it's absolutely ridiculous so i think he hopefully is, is built for this this moment
0: what makes you think that the last two years, I know one was injury, the programme was kind of falling apart, went from the epitome of college football to the pit within, you know, one off season. Um, what gives you confidence that his ability to stay healthy or re or re, uh, reclaim that 2019 form at the pro level uh, will be it? And would you have picked anybody else above him like Sauce went next and mm-hmm. Thibodeau went shortly after?
1: Yeah, uh, it's tough, to be honest. Nothing makes me more confident about, you know, him staying healthy, because that's, it's really just luck. It's nothing that we can really predict as outsiders. Um, But I am fairly confident, I would say in him, you know, putting in the effort and the work that needs to be done to be a true NFL pro, because of all the, you know, the stories that you hear about Stingley, about his work ethic and that he is you know, really built for this moment, built to be a star. He's like a silent killer. He won't say much, but he'll put his head down he'll do the work. And he's someone who at his age has always been advanced, always been above his peers at his age group. And so hopefully he can continue and carry that work ethic to the NFL. Because I think also going through those hardships in those past two years, you have to think that he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder now because he might think that people are sleeping on him and that he's got to prove himself and i think he's the type of guy that is, is smart enough to know that like hey the, the work doesn't stop now just because i got drafted it doesn't mean it stops it stops now um he's gonna have to continue to do that um and then to answer your second part of the question if i would have taken someone else you know i'm not i'm a very risk averse person i don't like to take risks so i would have went sauce over stingley um, because I do think you know there's less injury concerns and and the decline in play didn't happen for him. It, Gardner was really only um, on an upward trajectory. Um, other than that, I, I might have taken Cave on, but I'm sure we'll talk about kind of that defensive end um, hole that got plugged with the free agent signing. So that makes me feel a bit, a bit better about that. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. I can get behind it and, and root for him for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I suppose Sauce, P. <laughs> Kenny came this, you know kind of media, kind of easy, kind of, you know, and he was almost a bit of a, in the same way that Stingley's tape kind of dwindled in the last couple of years, his tape was kind of good at times, but just wasn't tested and, you know there's a, there's a I suppose a kind of thought of how long you don't do something for how quickly can you pick it back up and I suppose that's a question mm. for probably Stingley more than anything else and I think for me it has the widest range of outcomes for all these picks I think you've got a guy who could be a shutdown corner like Casario was sort of speaking in Cal's ear if you saw any of those videos rather interesting <laughs> to watch the the rather uh, uh, muted demeanour of the, of the owner or inherited owner and as expected right enough um, but he said these guys don't grow on trees and I suppose it's the hope and the projection that he has you know or will reach that level of le- athleticism again because I think corner is the, one of the hardest positions to transition to in the National yep. Football League but also actually the, all the skills and all the kind of raw athleticism is kind of the same because of the way the games go and you know five five wide sets and You know A 70% in nickel The responsibilities Are kind of similar So Obviously the route tree And stuff you'll face And the concepts And people will try And test them uh, but yeah, I think we'll, we'll find out early, and it could be a year, it could be a Kareem Jackson like year one as my kind of thought of goes out there first round pick big SEC school comes in not quite the same kind of premium spot, but yeah you'll get tested early and you'll think you'll you'll find out a lot early. I think we had a pre draft podcast, Jordan, and somebody was on here and they said I think it's a question of not if he can be a good pro it's how much does he, does he want to be a good pro mm. and I, I and I kind of twinged a little bit when you saw him in the suite in Vegas and they're sitting there and the, the family were quite nonchalant about it yeah we expected yeah. this you know it all kind of felt very muted and, and you know maybe that is the attitude you need to be a corner because I don't think I've got the mentality for it um, <laughs> but it, it just kind of felt like yeah very casual um, kind of yeah okay yeah this was expected from an early early age um, this was, you know, our right sort of thing, but this is the time where you really gotta earn it and talent where you're picked kind of is irrelevant. So I think for me he could be what you know, the, you know, there's something really nice about having a premium potential. One of your best players could be your corner because that's never really ever been the case for this team in its entire mm-hmm. history. So if you solve that with this, that's a huge, huge building block into the future. If not, then you know, the the complexion of this class could look very, very different. But I, I, for me, Stingley, if he reaches even 90% of that 2019 tape in a manner that he's physically more gifted and and, mm-hmm. and developed in the pros, uh, he could be an asset for a long time for this team. So I understand why he did it, yeah. um, but there is there is of course some risk attached.
1: Yeah, and that's what I kind of think of my overall thoughts on this draft class is like, especially in the early picks, like they're swinging for the fences. They were going for the high upside guys between him, Green, Petrie. Those first three really stand out to me as as high upside guys that might have a bit of a transition period to the NFL. Like you said, cornerback's hardest position. I would not be surprised if Stingley, you know, gives up some big catches early on. um, And just the expectations, I think for us, they're going to be sky high for fans. Like, I think we need to temper it just a little bit just because of historically how tough it is for cornerbacks to transition. Um, But I'm pretty bullish, I guess, on his like long-term uh, prospects.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a three-year transition, I think, in some senses. So people could kind of get a little bit worried and a bit concerned, rightly so. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think you'll know where he is, in, and you'll know this whole draft class um, in three years' time, as we're in the 2024 season, and that's the kind of you know probably the benchmark for any class, um, because you see the complexion the twenty the 2018 class looked great after year one. Nobody's really here now. Um, you know the, the twenty the twenty nineteen class promised a lot. Looks like Lonnie Johns is on the way out today. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Sharpen, bust, etc. But looked like we re- replaced Lonnie and Sharp with both these picks. Fifteenth pick in the twenty twenty two NFL draft. The Houston Texans select Kenyon Green. Guard Texas AM the Texans then traded back with the Philadelphia Eagles. They picked up the 124th, 162nd, and 166th pick um, to do this trade. They dropped back two spots. The the Eagles then took Jordan Davis and the Ravens took Kyle Hamilton. Uh, and that kind of felt like you drifted out a sweet spot for okay, some later round picks. Uh what did you make of that move, firstly?
1: Uh, you know, at the moment that it happened, it seemed great. You know, we're getting, I think it was two or was it three extra picks?
0: Yeah, three picks, yeah,
1: three extra picks, right? So that's pretty good return for just moving down two spots. Um, my kind of take on it is that they were going to take green at 13 either way. No matter, I don't think they were going to go Hamilton or Davis or whatever. So I don't think that they felt that they missed out on their guys. Like, I felt like green was the guy, anyways. So to get those extra picks and still get your guy, like, I think was a good move overall. Um, and then they were able to use those. Those later picks to trade up for for Booker, they might have used one of those for the Mechi trade. I'm not 100 sure, but in the end, it all came together where they they got an extra comp. Yeah,
0: they used it for the, the Christian, trade. Trade. Yeah, Christian Harris trade. Yeah, used the one of Christian Harris. yeah,
1: So they traded up three times, then traded down down one time, right? Down for yeah. Green, up for Mechi Harris and Booker. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I I like Kenyan Green. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on him? Well, I think when you watch him. Them-
0: Against your kind of general run-of-the-mill, you know, Arkansas's, uh, Auburn's, it looks okay, it looks all right, um, solid. Um, you watch them against LSU, not the best tape, that game, um, and that is that guard, uh, that spot. Um, and a lot of people said, I think it was Lance Zirling's, uh quoting a scout got, you know, kind of rounded up, you know, I saw everybody doing it after the pick trying you know everybody want to justify themselves fix it in a positivity but um you know I think what we try and do on this and I know you do and I know a small handful of people do is objectivity and I think he potentially has the biggest upside in this class because I think when you look at the 34 and uh, an eighth arm length uh when you look at the size when you look at the movement skills when you look at the hand placement I think it's fine but he's got a kind of terrible. Kind of habit to overset when on the outside, and then on the inside, he almost kind of ducks his head and drops, drops his kind of po- his uh, his his arm focus or his his attack point onto the onto the pads of the defensive linemen. So there, there's quite sort of reasonably fundamental stuff. I thought watching his tape, you need to clear up. Um, There, There is points where he looks for work and, you know, he'll he'll recognise, you know, a late blitzer and he'll hand off the double team and move over to the site. He does stuff like that really, really well. So that shows you that he's smart and he's thinking about it and he's not just looking at the guy right in front of him. So there's a lot to like, but there's a lot of kind of small technique points that not the LSU game as well is not his best tape of the whole year he is playing at left guard as well Was that was one I want to watch because I thought well if he's not a tackle it's hard to be sort of overly critical of the bad um, at tackle because he, they basically said he's going to be a left guard but he gets bull rushed in that game for a big guy that could hammer a lot as well so I think he's got a huge upside. Um, but when you take a guard that high with all the needs we have, he's going to have to refine this stuff. all this stuff. But look, he looks a really solid player, and I think we can't get away from that. That's what we need. But what's, what was your kind of evaluation of his tape? I had him as my third best guard in the, in the class, but I was uh, I had questions about him because we took him over Zion Johnson, et cetera, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I'm pretty much fully aligned with you. He is my interior office alignment number three. Uh, behind Linderbaum and then Zion Johnson. So second highest guard in this class. Um, but yeah, honestly, like like you said, like taking a first round guard, you kind of expect them to be a little bit more polished. You know, your Zach Martins and, and those types, your Quentin Nelson's like going to take Green that high, but still like 15, yeah. like still pretty premium for a, for a guard. Um, and I think Zion is the more pro ready guy, but Green, like you've been saying, is, is the higher upside. Because the guy, his size, like his length, he moves pretty damn well, and his highs are, are really, really high. He's able to just kind of pave lanes on the ground for you really easily. And that's something that the Texans desperately, desperately needed. So to me, this felt like a bit of a pick for filling a need rather than so much, you know, getting best player available. Um, not necessarily the route I would go in terms of drafting, but at the end of the day, like I think we'll look back on it and say, hey, this was a pick that we needed. Maybe we reached a little bit, but he wasn't going to make it to our second round pick. There were four other guards that went off the board in the first round alone so there was high demand for the position and so even though i had him graded um lower than zion johnson i had him i gave him a high second round grade he wasn't gonna end up making it there anyway so that's where you had to take him um so i'm, I'm here for it i think hmm. he will also like stingley have a bit of a transition period but that's mainly because like you said the technique stuff and also not having to play all these different positions now, like just going to focus fully on guard, hopefully that will be a transition period a little bit, Um, but it should be a beneficial one for him because in in college, he played everything but center and Mm. switch sides. A lot of the time switching positions, even within the same game, he would switch positions sometimes. So we've seen over the years that that is not the way to treat your offensive lineman. That's not the best way to get the most out of them as as a coaching staff. So hopefully uh, George Warhup, new offensive line coach can just stick in that guard not have to learn anything else, Titus stay at tackle, not have to learn anything else, boom, you get the best version of these guys. I think Green can be a, a long-time starter for us, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think it, when you think about the meshing of the skills, if Tunsil's still going to be here <laughs> long term, I think there's definitely questions about that, that was, you know, everywhere. Uh, Peter King, Albert Breer in the draft, you know, for pre-draft uh, process. And you kind of get that he's not really interested in football. He's been given all the money and the short-term deals and that kind of stuff the club. But you know, for the next two years, that could be Green's best prospect. Because if you think Tunsil's a far superior pass blocker, lacks a little bit in run blocking, whereas actually Green's different strong suit. He gets to the second level really well. He understands the next guy that's coming. You know, because ultimately, you, you we've not we've seen that so many times where we've had guys pulling. And they don't go. They don't go and make contact with the right guy, and it's just you know being simple stuff. And that was obviously from previous coaching. Obviously, we went from Devlin, and then we got the guy for Green Bay last year. Never quite worked. But I think you, you see that as a natural ability to go up to the second level and then clear out the you know the second or third level player that's there. So for me, it's I think there's there's some definite kind of built in early day one proficiencies in the run game. What we don't have, um, so or we certainly haven't had, and we don't have from either you know the the, the two sort of at present day one set tackles for this year. So, yeah, he might be a, a, a nice blend and mesh and then he can maybe help you in a pinch at tackle. And I suppose when you, if you look at Braden Smith at the Colts, he drafted him as a guard. So the guard stuck him out, right tackle, never looked back and they've paid him. So, you know, it can work in many ways with offensive linemen. And, and, you know, these guys can sink or swim how much they want it, how much they want to work, but they both kind of seem... You know, as I said, that local kid stuff, I don't know if that helps. I don't know if these guys have now are young enough that they've grown up with this team. And and, and the attitude to it's kinda of different and almost like there is an investment and and there's there's a local pipeline to be tapped into. And I don't know if that'll help. I don't know if it if it changes their perception. Um you know, it's maybe not conscious, but I I think that there's a lot to like there. Uh, but the refinement of Warhop and how he works on him, um is is going to be really key. And if he's not starting week one, getting picked at 15, then I think, again, that's a, that's going to be an early, early test of, you know, can the kid play at this level? Now, you know, he might play in year three. Again, both positions are long-time transitions. They're not quick. Um, it's not wide receiver. But, you know, I think it's that'll be the key test, you know, is he getting the reps in camp and then is he out there week one?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I guess the important thing to note is kind of, The improvement areas we talked about, like everything's fixable, everything's coachable, whether it's his, you know, hand placement, which has been kind of erratic at times, his pad level, lunging or not. Um, All that stuff is definitely, definitely coachable. Um, So I'm not too worried about it. It's just something that we need to see progress with and something that because it's not there right now, that level of technique. You just need to temporary expectations a little bit, and so that's kind of my thoughts on, on the first round guys, really in in general. So it's kind of more low floor, high 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 ceiling.
0: Yeah. No, and I think it was not yeah, it's not your average class, and I think you know they said they only yeah. had a set amount of players that they were going to be willing to take in the first. But um, we we sat and picked one of the few picks we did yeah. sit and pick up at 37, <laughs> um, and I think for me this is my favorite pick of the mm-hmm. class. And I think before we go in it, do you want to just talk through for everybody's not familiar, Jordan, about the star position, how Petrie was used at Baylor?
1: Yeah, so the star position is a really unique one. Not every defense runs it, but it's essentially a hybrid position between a nickel corner, outside linebacker, box safety, that type of thing. Imagine three kind of positions morphed into one. And so, who are some players who played it? Jalen Ramsey has played it a little bit. Kenny Moore for the Colts a little bit, not. much more of a pure nickel guy but it's a really really valuable position in terms of allowing levy smith to do what he wants to do because what you're essentially doing is you're getting a defender who has like the run cap run defense capabilities of a linebacker slash box safety and also some coverage capabilities like a nickel corner and so it's morphed into one and so allowing you to play that type of defender on your base defenses where you're gonna have you know, your four down linemen, your two linebackers, and then your star, and then your four DBs, that's really going to allow you to defend the run and the pass at the same time, because now you have this hybrid player. So here's Jonathan the Joseph
0: pick in the 2022 NFL draft, the Houston Texans select Jalen Petrie, DB from Baylor. Well, oh, yeah, so there's, there's one play if you watch him against Oklahoma State and he blitzes off the, I think he's at the nickel and he just comes up to the line of scrimmage and then there's a puller that comes around from the other side. I think it's maybe like a, a six lineman in a jumble set and he just dives down and he takes the two guys out at once at two, and they just hit the day. I tweeted it out when I started watching on, on Saturday and uh, there's a couple of plays where... He just comes off the line of scrimmage. If you look in the bowl game, first play of the game, tackle for loss. You know, he's blitzing off the edge, taking tackles. And people kind of said, you know, sort of Tyron Matthew Light. And I hate player comps sometimes because they're quite lazy. You know, every player is a little bit difficult. But the more I watched them, I just kept thinking, yeah, actually. And the way he was used at the Chiefs, not obviously that one year in Houston, as they played him as a cover, you know, a cover two safety. And they just kind of said two guys on the roof that didn't really do anybody justice um, let, apart from bringing a couple of blitzes but yeah I just think he can do so much for you I think there's different spots he, he played at the Will Linebacker the vast majority of the time um, you maybe not put him on first down there um, but he, he uh, they had two safeties the vast majority of the time at Baylor And he was never one of those. And he was always, and the amount of times he blitzes um, from the nickel spot, um, you know, and we always saw what Watson had a a trouble with that. So, you know, whenever Watson comes to uh, NRG this year, when that schedule gets announced Thursday, let's blitz him at least three or four times off the edge and let's see what he's got. Because I just thought, for me, the pick 37, you sat there, you didn't give up anything. There was a couple of guys you maybe wanted to take ahead of him that might be more effective. Uh, Ebutecki went after. uh, But overall for me, it kind of felt requisite value for the guy. Um, so a question for you. Why do you think guys like Dax Hill and Louis Seen went slightly ahead? What differentiates them from, from uh, Jalen?
1: Yeah, I think they're a little bit more cookie cutter. They're more, that type of archetype has seen more success in the NFL and it's more teams use that type of safety. Like Louis Steen and, and Daxon and Hill, they can be your strong safeties, like your pure strong safeties in the box or a deep in a too high system as well. Whereas Petrie is a little bit more of a hybrid defender, and not every defense runs that star. Not every defense wants a nickel corner who is, you know, better as a run defender than he is as a pass coverage guy. He still he shows potential there, but I do think he will need some refinement there. I don't think he's a guy that you want to line up man to man versus the best slots in the game, Cooper Cup and all that guys. Um, he'll get exposed a little bit there. Um, but so that's kind of why I think they went higher, it's just more of a traditional safety and they could be viewed as safer for teams. Um, but then Petrie, man, like he is so fun to watch play. He is so fun to watch play. That's why he's my favorite pick in this class because he just leaves it all out on the field, man. 110% effort, he's flying around like a heat-seeking missile. He doesn't care that he might be a little bit undersized. He's 5'11", 198, not your typical like box defender, right? But like you said, he will always stick his nose where the ball is get do all the dirty work uh play with fire in the trenches and and i really hope we can blitz him like they blitzed him um in dave aranda's scheme in baylor because lovey smith historically has not really liked to blitz he didn't do it a whole lot last year i don't have the exact numbers of it but you watch the defense like they just don't really like the blitz like they like to sit back in their coverage just rush for. that's always been his, his philosophy but with petrie to get the most out of him you are going to have to blitz him. that is his absolute best skill best traits so explosive, so athletic. And the thing is that you can blitz them. A lot of people think of blitzing as just in the passing game, but Baylor, what they would do is they would call a lot of run blitzes. And this is something that opposing offenses, sorry, opposing defenses did uh, did to us last year, because we were so predictable in our runs. So they could call run blitzes and just, boom, let's send an extra guy. And there's just no way they can block us all. So that's something I really hope Lovey Smith can do with Jalen Petrie, bring him down. So imagine you're playing Christian Kirksey, Camu Grudger-Hill, and and Jalen Petrie as your three linebackers there in the box. And if you kind of have an idea that a team wants to run a lot on first and 10, send Petrie because he is so fast. Whether you're running away from him or towards him, he'll chase you down from the backside. He'll set the edge well if you're running towards him. He is a really violent player, and I love that. Nick said he plays with his hair on fire all the time. I think it's a really good explanation for who he is.
0: Yeah, I, I tweeted, I think he just covers every blade of grass. I know that sounds like a terrible cliche, but he really does. And I think I think he's got to, well, I think, yeah, that that point there, you, he can go and chase plays down the backside. Not all it'll take is a delay because his acceleration to, to, to go and chase the play at the second or third level, you'll probably get there. You know, there's a play where the ball pops out I think it was in the bowl game and then all of a sudden this body just comes from nowhere and it's Petrie and he takes the foot and he takes the fumble recovery. There's a play where he's he's his DB he gets beaten down the sideline and th- and then you think the guy's away and all of a sudden this body just comes out of nowhere and t- takes the guy down on the other sideline. So like you know, he never gives up a play, his motors high, he doesn't mind mixing it up with tackles, and I think for me it was he was the most exciting player to watch. And obviously he's all action, right? So he, he's he's doing more than one role therefore by definition he'll uh, he'll he'll show up more on on the, the broadcast and 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 you know he'll get more calls out and stuff like that but yeah and, and he's, he's very crafty as well um, like there's a play against Ole Miss just after Corral got injured in the ball game he gets underneath the the pulling guard and goes and and goes in, uh, and and gives a QB hurry um, I think it ended up being a completion on the sideline but it's just he can impact the game in so many ways but Apart from obviously asking Lovey to blitz him, where do you think he fits him in to get the most out of him? They they may be limited and they may be more strategic and packaged for him in year one, but what would you say ideal role for him is in year one?
1: It's tough because we kind of have four of these same types of players. These nickel corners that are really good at blitzing and and defending the run and open field tackling. You think of Jalen Petrie, you also got Tavier Thomas. Then you got Desmond King. Yeah, he played outside corner last year, but he's still best in the slot. Um, and then you even got MJ Stewart, the new free agent signing out of the Cleveland Browns. These are all guys that are, you know, nickel corners can play some strong safety too. Um, mainly Stewart and, and Petrie. Um, so it's interesting because I think Xavier Thomas, you know, he played well enough last year where you'd kind of pencil in his name as the starter. But then Petrie, like second, high second round pick, like you're kind of expecting him to potentially start. So I think what I would do is it kind of depends on training camp, see who's better at that nickel corner spot. My two favorites for that would be Petrie and Tavier Thomas. Um, But I think if Tavier takes a nickel position, then you start Petrie at strong safety. And I think that's a position he can do really well because of the scheme that we run, because of the amount of times we're going to ask him to play too high. So we're not going to ask him to play single high. I wouldn't really trust him in that too much. But in two high shells, he he showed a pretty decent amount of that at Baylor. They would disguise it pretty well um where he would be come down in the box and then skirt back to the deep, uh, deep half. So I think that's something you can do. And we saw later in the, in the second half of the season, Bobby Smith was a little bit more open to changing his defensive coverage calls. He was covering, calling a lot more cover three. And so in that system, you know, you're going to bring that safety, that strong safety down in the box. And that's, that's Jalen Petrie's bread and butter. You want him as close to the line of scrimmage as possible, as close to the ball as possible, because like you said, the acceleration, just athleticism, it will shine and he'll make, he'll stuff the stat sheet. I mean, this dude had 18 and a half, tackles for loss in his last season that is absolutely insane for a DB so I'm yeah. excited to see
0: him in yeah and you think there might be a potential just to play him down as like almost kind of set up as a cover too kind of bring him down in the box to or later on try and change the looks because if you think about and I think everybody's forgotten this how bad and god awful that defence was to watch almost like it was literally pegs in the holes you, you, it was as if they'd drawn it up on the chalkboard and 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 they didn't move from those spots and when you when you think of the how bad that was at the start of the season, I think it was a start. It was I can't remember the exact number, but say it was seventy odd percent of the time we were in the same look post snap that we were in pre snap. If he gives you that versatility, not to do that, it gives you a little bit of hope that we will be less predictable than we were last year. Now the big question I think with Petrie and I think with Derek Stingley, Stingley is, well, I, I first of all I don't think you should ever go into a draft trying to fill a need, but the Texans were in the position that they probably needed an edge rusher to be competitive because as much as so I like Jonathan Grenard, as much as we, as much as him and I had disputes <laughs> and private messaging about uh, play play breakdowns. Um, I think he's a good player, but I think he's an ideal number two. I think he's, in a, you know, a really good number three on a, on a Super Bowl team or a playoff team anyway. Um, how are these guys going to hold up on the back end if the pass rush can't get home? And I think that's the big concern. I think that was the only valid criticism for this weekend That's that, that may read its head in an ugly, ugly fashion at times against certain teams depending on how they play. Um, was the fact that we did not, you know, add somebody who could have been ideally turned into a premier pass rush. And I think that's a bit of a hole in the team.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. It was it was weird going into it because I would say that was our biggest hole on defence. Honestly, that starting edge um, opposite Grenard, especially because of how much Lovey's system is dependent on getting pass rush with just four guys. Right. So it was a big... Need circled for me. Um, But it makes a lot more sense with the free agent signing that we heard today. It makes a lot more sense why they just completely ignored it, didn't even draft a single defensive end, only one defensive lineman. Um, So Rasheen Green, formerly with the Seahawks, got signed today. Yeah, I believe six and a half sacks, like 30 something pressures, 18 quarterback hits this past season. So he's been pretty productive for them. He's been pretty productive. And he's another one of these guys that helps us become more versatile, more unpredictable, because he's lined up really wide as a wide nine, as a seven technique, he's lined up as a five technique, he lined up as a three technique as well, he's versatile, and moving him around is how you get the best out of him, because he's one of these guys that he'll go through kind of hot and cold spells, one one drive, he'll have three pressures in a row, next drive, kind of forget about that he's actually on the field. So I think moving him around, making him more of an unpredictable kind of weapon, chess piece that so you can move around that D-line, um, that will help him you know, stay fresh and, and get the best matchup possible for him. So I'm excited for that. I think it's a good like veteran stopgap, just a one-year thing. And then maybe next year they got their eyes set on Will Anderson out of Alabama, the top yeah. player in that class.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think in um, Jalen Carter or something like that, I think, because next yeah. year's class, I mean... I- a year out a lot can change, but it seems very very star driven versus this one. But I think yeah the 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 green um, sign is interesting. I'm sure he had like 20 sacks in his in his final year at Musc. Um, he's you know he was one of these guys I think projected to be more than he has been. Um, I suppose there's a reason why he's still on the market at this stage. Um, but hopefully, like you said, when they try and change it up, you know when we put Demarcus Walker at at, uh, at DT last year, it didn't end well. Um, so hopefully, he can you know pr- provide you know these incremental upgrades on last year. You know if you think you went from Terence Mitchell to Stephen Nelson, you know if you go from you know say Jordan Jenkins doesn't make it, but Rashard Green makes the fifty three, you know there's small incremental steps you know t- towards the future. And I think that's how you got it. It's got to be baby steps because there's you know there's too many ones to take. Uh, giant leaps, but um, but yeah, I think that for me that was the big the big issue was not taking an edge rusher, and I I worry about the the year one confidence hit to the, these secondary guys you've taken reasonably high in the top thirty seven because. It's not easy trying to cover for five or six seconds, but you never know. Petrie actually might be, you know, like Jamal Adams went to Seattle and he was their best edge rusher. It might be the, you know, it might be the same kind of case there. But it's definitely a concern. Now the Texans then, then traded uh, back up into the second round, sort of seven picks later.
1: Texans select John Mechie, wide receiver, Alabama.
0: He made a trade with Cleveland, um, who eventually took Martin Emerson, who's a guy I really like from Mississippi State, uh, with the 68th pick. But they gave up the 68th pick, the 108th and the 124th to go and get Jordan Mechie. Now, second round, top of it, notoriously a value spot. What did you think of taking Mechie at that spot versus kind of some of the other guys that were in that region?
1: Yeah, I think he was my second highest wide receiver left on the board. I think I had Skymore just barely, barely above him. Um, but I loved it because I'm a big fan of Mechi and his game. He's a fellow Asian-Canadian. So it's cool to have mm, one of those yeah. to root for on, my, on the Texans. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was really cool. And his hometown, uh, Brampton, I-, I lived there for like about five years too. So really crazy to see. Um, but I love him as a player too. It's more than just, you know, his background. Um, I think maybe it was a lot of compensation to trade up for to, it was what, two fourths and a third to get into the second. It's, it's, it's a lot. Um, but for the caliber of player that he projects to be and can be, I think it was worth it because you were not going to get him in the third round um that's kind of the range where the wide receivers like the the run on the wide receiver started so early and so it kind of boosted everyone up the boards and you'd have to take Mechie around there so i like it this is a guy who was getting first round hype before the uh acl injury that ended his season now apparently he's ahead of schedule he said himself he should be back by july so he should be all good by training camp um maybe you see some of the injuries affect still quarter way through the season third of the way through the season and then he'll start to get to 100% but in the long term like this is a long-term play right we're Mm. not we don't really care too much about year one we care about year three four five and plus that so getting a guy who fits what pep hamilton wants to do on offense so well so perfectly i think it's a a great move out of the texans
0: so how much do you think uh, i still need to look into this offseason but how much do you think pep will utilize mechie who is a prototypical slot receiver
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i think the cool thing about mechie is he's able to do a bit of both he definitely Mm. is the best in the slot um because he's so twitchy and, and sudden and and he's not the biggest guy so you don't really want him outside too much but he can do a little bit on the outside and you know we talked a lot about pep hamilton running a lot of two tight end sets that's absolutely what he loved to do in in uh indianapolis and all of his other stints um and i think that will still be kind of like we talk about base defenses and then we talk about like some packages and stuff like that like i think his base offense will still be two tight end sets but we're going to be, we're still going to be in three wide receiver sets a decent amount because I'm imagining, you know, with the talent on this team, I think we're going to be playing from behind a good amount. So we're going to want to be passing a good amount and playing from those three tight end sets or, sorry, three wide receiver sets. So I think you can mix it up pretty well with him, Cooks, and Eco. And Mechi gives you a different skill set than those guys. And he gives us a skill set that we've really, really needed over the years someone who can separate versus main coverage versus zone coverage, you know just really really well i think he's one of the best route runners in this class um so he knows how to get open and then he's also good after the catch too he was always really electric after the catch he's got good speed good acceleration he's twitchy um and that's something that we need for pat hamilton's offense because he loves the loves to get wide receivers the ball um, on screens and slants and just try and get yak as an extension of the run game so mechi's perfect for that man
0: yeah i I just kind of when the time you know when you weigh up and you think were given up those three picks. Was that you know? Was he definitely worth more than Alex Pierce or Sky Moore or uh, Tyquan Thomas um, or George Pickens? I know they're all kind of different types of players, right? And it's not like for like, but I'm assuming they think it's a perfect fit for what the role and the want to ask him and they they outlined them early and hence why they went aggressive. And and I do like that about the week of did He did obviously did it for uh, for to get an last year. Um, very aggressive and very selective of who they go after, and he said they only had eighty odd players, um, or so on their draft board. So if that is the case, then you know, excellent. Um, but it just it felt like a little bit heavy at the time. But you know, um, you know, if it works out, as you said, nobody will ever care.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Like comparing him to the other guys, like Tyquan Thornton is mainly just the speedster. Uh, George Pickens has a lot of off field concerns. Apparently, he's very immature and has had some some altercations with teammates um who are some of the other guys you mentioned like kyle phillips was still there that's like a pure slot guy out of yeah. ucla i think they want someone like mechie who is a little bit more athletic can provide a little bit of a vertical threat ability but also stretch the field horizontally on their west coast concept so he was really just a perfect scheme fit um and then on top of that he was really applauded as you know a leader a worker for that alabama program and one of those leaders in the locker room and so he has their their character traits that they're looking forward to um and then you know he's done it against the best competition in the sec so he just seemed to check a lot of boxes off for them
0: broncos have traded the 75th pick to the houston texans with the 75th pick in the 2022 nfl draft the houston texans select christian harris Linebacker, <laughs> Alabama. Nick Sterio picks up the phone to George Payton in Denver. Uh, we were slated to pick at the 80th pick. Jumped up five spots um, and gave up uh, the 80th pick plus the 162nd, the one that we got from Philly um, in the first round when we traded back from 13 to 15. Um, Christian Harris, linebacker, converted safety linebacker, um, 220 range. um, A little bit lighter, but trended towards that prototype and how that position has changed. First of all, why was the reaction from Lovey Smith so amped up at that pick? Do they see him as a true Mike, or what do you think the role is for him?
1: He's definitely a Will, in my opinion. At six foot, 220-ish. Um, he played will at Alabama. That's his, that's his best, especially when you're converting, you know, a safety to a will, that's typically the, the linebacker position that they take on. Um, he's a little bit lighter in the pocket. Um, so yeah, it's definitely will. And I think he's kind of love. He sees him as his will of the future. That's what's why he was so excited because we re-signed Camigruja Hill, but it was only for one year. And so I think this Christian Harris pick, the one, the picks we mentioned earlier, Stanley Green, Petrie, Mechie, they all have a very good chance to, to start very early in their career. Um, I don't think Christian Harris is the same in that regard. I think he's a little bit more raw um, in terms of like the mental aspects of the linebacker play. And it kind of makes sense going from safety to linebacker. There's a lot of things you have to learn in terms of reading your keys um, and having good instincts to flow towards the run. So that part, he's a little bit underdeveloped um, as a run defender. So I think that can take some time to learn, learn from Kirksey, learn from KGH. And then year two, KGH's contract is up. Maybe you resign on him if he still played amazing Or if not, boom, you already have Christian Harris to step into that starting role
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it certainly seemed uh, a very kind of, you know, outward reaction to it And I, I wondered if they just yeah. had, like, I know, an even bigger role than perhaps some of what the tape suggested Because I think at times he's got an issue, kind of gets downhill, he kind of over-pursues at the wrong angle He can kind of get cut back on side like the sideline in terms of lateral movement You can see that safety background Freak uh, out. Yeah, common in, to it I think just coming, you know, don't get me wrong. There's there's plenty of tackles for loss uh, when he reads the play well and he and he shoots gaps and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, I think you're right. It does project well. I just wondered if the 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 reaction suggested more in the plan, as Lovey said in pretty much every call. We've got a plan for you. Um, might have been that, but yeah. You, so you think then less of a role year one um, and perhaps a a little bit more of a a longer term development there. So that that was the end of day three. Um, and then the Texans then were back on the clock with a third pick on that day. And with the 107th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Damian Pierce, running back from Florida. Go Texans, baby! Day three arrives, uh, we've got one of the top four picks, uh, or top few picks in the fourth round rather. Um, and the guy, Jordan, I actually had him, and I was a little bit higher on than, than others. Um, it was a limited sample size, limited tread on the tires. <laughs> But for me, I really valued the skill set of da- um of Damien Pierce, and I think for me coming out of Florida, he just reminded me a lot of Carlos Hyde. I liked I liked the way he runs. He kind of kick high steps almost through tackles. He's really slippery, low balance center of gravity. He gets so many extra yards that he doesn't necessarily look like he's going to get. I don't think he'll always be great in short yardage. But for those sort of intermediate second and sevens and stuff, he could pick you up five, six yards, even on a black, a bad play call, I think for me. And I, I really like to pick. I thought it's a good fit for a power running style. Obviously, that's what they ran predominantly at Florida as well. A lot of the teams in the SEC do. Um, hence why I think we went to the well again on that conference. But Pierce for me, I thought was an interesting pick. Limited uh Limited tread on the tire. Some interesting comments about looking forward to meeting some of the women in Houston or something he made. Uh, so he's a bit of a character, good energy. Um, a good pick, I think, overall.
1: Yeah, you nailed pretty much everything I was going to say, I think, you know, just to not repeat what you're saying, but I to add a different point, like what this pick meant to me is, you know, really, it meant a lot to me in the grand scheme of things. Because what it meant to me is that, you know, Nick Isaiah and the scouting staff, like, they know what they're doing. They know how to maximize value at certain positions that maybe not don't have so much value as they used to do. And they know how to kind of find a marriage between their scheme and the skill set of these players. Like you said, it's a perfect, perfect fit for this power run scheme. And I've been screaming to get a run back you know, later in the draft um like a guy like damon pierce brian Robinson, whatever it ended up being pierce amazing He's my guys my rb3 um i wanted that over you know Brees hall or kenneth walker in the second and that's that's what's a lot of the fan bases really want you know that sexy pick, our jonathan taylor blah 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 all that good stuff but i think honestly with the position that the team was in we're not running back away from improving our run game we needed to make those um, you know, premium capital investments in the offense line. So we did so with green. Great. Now let's spend a day three pick on a running back who can honestly, he's just exactly what we need. He might not be the sexy pick, but he's exactly what we needed in terms of being a tough physical runner. Great vision follows his pullers really well. And I'm really excited to watch him follow Kenyon green, Kenyon green, boom, create a hole for him and Pierce uh, hit the Hit the whole hard man and he, he'll be exactly what we need exactly it's, it's like you said with carlos hyde i see that i see some Javante williams um who was drafted last year so yeah great big fan of the pick man
0: what i thought was really interesting though was casario's was kind of very uh quick to downplay the fact what how many snaps he would take or uh, unsolicited uh not based on the question but his opening statement at the end of day three Talked about on playing special teams. It's not about... It's more about the kicking game, not how many yards you will run. He's got to earn it. He said there's some other backs in the building that are better than him. He said he lacks a bit of long speed. And I thought... So I was kind of like, you know, yeah, I can see... And then, so, I don't know if that's just a case of maybe he thinks his character needs it. Um, it was maybe a pick that he wasn't 100% on board with, that he took, you know, the advice of others... Um, uh, Lipford, Bazargin, might have been Pep. You never know. But I just thought it was a really strange reaction, considering most of the picks he talked up. He didn't quite do the inverse, but certainly he was really, you know, keen and you know, and adamant to temper his role right from day one, which is kind of odd when you just draft him a couple of hours earlier.
1: That is kind of odd. I think what it might could have been is maybe when they signed Marlon Mack, they kind of had an agreement like, hey, like you'll, you'll probably be the starter here. Um, And so maybe that was something that he had to kind of put out to the media and and shoot down Pierce a little bit in terms of his role. That would be my guess. Um, Hmm. Or it's like what you said. Maybe that just wasn't one of his guys because he he loved he he praised Stingley, praised Green, praised Petrie. Um, I didn't catch the Mechie one, but yeah, he was very vocal and outwardly of those other picks. That's interesting. That's a good pickup by you.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought I just watched it a couple of hours ago before we jumped on I just thought yeah it was kind of odd because yeah Mechie he was talking about his character and his talent and his background about what you touched upon. You know, he was talking about how he was delighted for Christian Harris, tears of joy. And this guy he just kidding, of so sort of, well, I don't think he'll play video so which was different. And then when he jumped on to our next pick, so the next pick, the Texans
1: with the 150th pick in the 2022 NFL draft, my Houston Texans select Thomas Booker, defensive tackle from Stanford.
0: Came up again, uh, traded with Chicago. I was actually on live on a podcast when this came on uh, and I was delighted with this one. He was a guy that I'd, I'd pinpointed earlier. I'd watched only two of his games because it was getting further in the process where I, I was just running out of time to get through and get that board together. Um, but yeah, Thomas Booker, defensive lineman from Stanford. Now, what When you watch him play, he does not look 300 pounds. And I think that's the interesting the point of view when you see him move. He's he's uh, he's at a seven tech at some in the passing downs. Um, you know, on on a five man front, uh, he's he, or sorry, probably nine. a five man front, but he's uh, he is. His movement skills and short area quickness that Casario talked about with players a lot of time towards the end of the season, he talked about that with Kiki Kingsley as well that came over from uh, Green Bay, which I think is a sneaky guy to potentially start for this team this year, um, that we picked up. And he looked like a fit and from that point of view. I think he could play as a big end on a four-man front because, you know, if you're going to be dropping guys back, you want as many big bodies to set the edge and obviously know, will kick inside. Um, on obvious passing downs you can get some faster guys Ocaronco or whatever his name is <laughs> on the, the guy they picked up for the Rams on the outside so You know, my reaction was, you know, excellent, delighted, because I thought at that stage he was one. I would have taken Matthew Butler over him. Uh, I thought his first step quickness was just elite, Um, and he was up there with some of the first guys. just needed a bit more refined in the hand fighting, but I still thought it was a good pick. Um, Obviously got a role for him again, but Booker, Stanford, Pip Hamilton ties, all that kind of good stuff, I thought. At that stage of the draft, I think that was the last pick that they had guys on their board and this was that was why the move was engendered because they were they were almost out of out of draftable grades at that point.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. This was one where it was really the quintessential Nick Casario pick. And everything Nick Casario has talked about valuing, you know, who these people, who these players are as people, their intangible skills, their intelligence, their work ethic, their leadership, everything like that. Like Thomas Booker very well might be the smartest player in this draft class like he was all all academic two years in a row team captain for Stanford he won their senior class award first team something like that like this man's accomplishments off the field go on and on and on and on it's insane so yeah definitely I'm with you like he was a guy that targeted that like yeah Nick is gonna love him and there's there's three things that he really brings like the the intelligence firstly the athleticism like you said like I think he His RAS, his relative athletic score is like a 9.44 out of 10, something like that. Very high in the nines. He's explosive. He's quick. He he bends pretty well. Um, And then the versatility. I really like him in our scheme as a a three tech. I think he's really going to be a good backup for Malik Collins and potentially take over that role in two years when Collins' contract is up. Um, But this is one of those picks that we talked about earlier. They were going, they're swinging for the fences with Stingley, with Green, with Petrie. Um, and then I think the Pierce and the Booker picks were a little bit more high floor, low ceiling type of guys, because Booker, like he just he gives you your your uh, very disciplined run defense. Like he, because he's so smart, he always knows how to be in the right position. He's always knows how to read the the run keys really well, get over to his gap, um, and just do his job. That's really what. The, the statement, the line that comes to my mind when I watch him play is do your job. Like He's always doing his job, always in the right position. I think he'd be a great run defender early on. And then he he can develop a little bit more of his pass rush skills over the years, um, but he'll have a good guy to learn it from, from Malik Collins. So I like this. pick. Um, I think he'll be, honestly be a contributor in his rookie year.
0: Well, you need you, you need eight guys uh, at all times, and you need eight quality guys. If they, you know, and you saw they basically transplanted line one out and line two out. So I assume he takes it to three taking line two. That's definitely an upgrade from Julio Johnson. And uh, uh, was it? Vincent Taylor as well at the start of the season, so you know. And, well, you say that's probably a, a, a disservice to guys who've been in the league. You know, you would assume there's a ceiling there to go and do it. Um, so, absolutely, uh, I think that that was a a good point that that you make there, and then. Uh, and then Quentin Tarantino or whatever the hell his name is uh, was in a tight end at 170 um, Teagan uh, Quinteroana I think or something like that I've probably butchered that incredibly well. even when I was reading the pronunciation yeah, I just, right. I must have read it about four times and I think I don't think I'm going to do it so Teagan Um Oregon State, I'd watched him in two games. I'd put him in as a developmental prospect. I wasn't even watching him. I just kind of did it off, you know, noted his number. And so he was at the line of scrimmage. He looked serviceable as an in-line blocker. He was almost like a poor man's Daniel Bellinger, I thought, in this kind of class. And he was, I thought, yeah, nothing wrong with him. But Casario did say he was the pick that the offensive staff were the most pleased with. They said that was the equivalent of Christian Harris on the other side. I saw Jeff Ridson from uh, did, does a lot of stuff for Detroit and uh, and talks about the draft. He said he had them the, the the Lions potentially take him the fifth round in his previous mock. So I think he's one of these guys the league knew about. Well, I hope anyway that, that certainly the the wider con- consensus media didn't know about. Um, obviously, coaches' recommendations, scout recommendations etc. So yeah, I. If he if he comes in and can start as a Y, um and has limited passing um limited passing um and route combination kind of uh, responsibilities. And I think, yeah, you know, at that stage of your draft, 170th, yeah, so be it, I think. So good so it's the kind of position you can find late. Maybe not that late, but you know, inline blockers, they're easy to find. If that's the way we've done it, then box tech, you know?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that was another pick that filled a need that we really needed. You know, Pharaoh Brown, Anthony Alclair. Didn't get it done via as, as that inline blocker, as a tight end, we know Brevin Jordan's better as your, as your H back kind of more hybrid slot role anyways, do more of the passing game duties. So yeah, I got a compliment and That was a big, big need for sure. And then, you know, at the stage of the draft that we were at, kind of the better tight ends were kind of already off the board, you know, Charlie Kohler, Jake Ferguson went a bit earlier, uh, Daniel Bellinger was gone. So it was really between him, Derek Deese and Jalen Weidermeyer. So, for me, you know, maybe I would have liked those other two guys just because personally I've done more homework on them. I know more about them, but I'll, I'll dive into, I think it's Tegan Quitoriano, something like that.
0: Quinturiano, that's right. Yeah. You know, done other service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like
1: the the kind of archetype that he is, that's exactly what we needed. So, hopefully, you know, he can. And then he's also a really good special teamer, apparently. So, 600 plus special team snaps. So, I think, you know, when you're getting guys that late in the draft, like that's just added value, help him make the team. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes as a developmental in line blocking tight end.
0: Yeah, well, Deese Jr. is the guy I liked, and I watched him early on, and yeah. he went undrafted, so, you know, there's potential things there. I think when it, when they took him and nobody knew, and everybody's like, who? I said, you know, I thought, well, that's them ran out of that 80 to 100 players now. Yeah. Um, and it, it felt that way. Um, you know, at 170th overall, you can't complain too much. Yep. I thought when, like, Ingambari was on, the, still on the board there, you uh, even a guy like John Ridgway from Arkansas that went just after in the fifth, yeah. then, you know, I thought, yeah, fair enough. You know, is what it is. It seemed like the coaching staff had a big role out from. But at this mm-hmm. stage, there was already punters going off the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Beavers could have been, you know, yeah. Darian Beavers from Cincinnati's a potential Mike, maybe a little bit limited, but... You know, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get too kind of caught up in it at that stage yeah. of the of the draft. Uh, but then we were back on the clock not too long after that 205th overall, uh, Austin Dekulis. Now, I had a guy, I watched him, probably three or four games. Um, a number of those guys were all, you know, set to be drafted or late picks or undrafted free agents on that LSU line. Yeah. Um, reasonably solid I didn't think he was particularly flashy yeah. I didn't sort of make any notes he was one of those guys I had towards the end because I always thought if you can trigger a memory of a guy or a style the, you know, when you when I wasn't necessarily using a scale as such, then it was easier to kind of put them up higher. I kind of had him as like, yeah, okay, I've watched them but, you know, I couldn't tell you all that much yeah. about him apart from he's just like a prototypical lineman, played a lot of games, super, super yeah. senior, record number of appearances at LSU and the SEC. So, you know, he might be a guy that comes in and surprises and, you know, it could be a, a guy that, you know, ideally you don't want A.G. Can on this team, uh, longer than this season. So, you know, could he kick in at right guard at some point? Uh, could he play right tackle in a pinch? Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's. you can never have enough offensive linemen, exactly. corners, or edge rushers. We didn't take any edge rushers, but we certainly tried to invest in an O-line. So I thought at that stage, it's a bit of a throwaway in many senses, statistically yeah. it is. So uh, you'll take it and see what you've got, I think, there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think he kind of fits the theme of these day three picks from Pierce to Decubus as a as a high floor guy um because of how experienced he was 46 starts at right tackle one at left tackle uh like you said career record for the lsu games played 61 um so he's got that sec experience he looks the part like he's got the size the length everything to be an nfl body um i think he's athletic he's limited athletically so that's why i kind of don't want him at tackle Um, And you also got Titus there. I don't don't want any more reasons for them to potentially move Titus. So um, I think he'll come in and maybe they view him as a swing tackle. Like I think you have Charlie Heck there. So I don't know if that's really what they view him as. I think it'll be more as a guard, honestly, like you said, like AJ Cam for me did not like his film whatsoever. So I'm not sure Deculus is going to take his seat in, in, uh, in his rookie year, but maybe after um, maybe a year or two after developments, because he's not perfect like you said he doesn't really stand out on the film but what he does is just he's another body for Pep hamilton's power run scheme he's a big dude six five, mm-hmm. three 30, hundred thirty-two pounds or 328 pounds something like that but yeah. he he'll he'll do well in those gap power schemes for sure
0: yeah that's it and that's what they're on at lsu that's yep. why they were looking at like uh taylor price is that the name of the running back that was there hi davis price um yeah today was press yes yeah. so you know that was the reason why they were looking at him because they were all fit so yep. you know this. I mean, at this stage of the draft it's probably guys who may or likely be on the practice squad and that's just the reality of it yeah. um, and talking to guys who may or may not and again this is all reported the team haven't announced this year uh, but the undrafted free agent class Jordan was there any, any of those guys that kind of kind of noteworthy. I thought it was probably led by Colby havel Peel from Oklahoma State, watched a couple of games of him. Um, I'd have rated as a kind of spot filler, like potentially like a fifth or sixth round pick. Um, if you watch his tape in 2020, actually, which I watched a couple of games today, mm-hmm. it felt like his tape was more athletic uh, and a bit more kind of rangy. Um, it looked like in 21, the role would change from a little bit, OK State, and they brought him down in the box a little bit more, a bit more aggressive with him. But, um, just from the couple of games I watched, I want to dive into these guys a lot of the off season. Uh, but yeah, I think for him, he's a potential again reported. So we may be talking at a turn here. He may not actually sign, but it felt like he was quite a good position. Did you have a kind of decent grade on him?
1: Um, I had him kind of as a late day three guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is it's is a good get as a UDFA, you know. I think he's definitely one of the bigger names. Um, but I honestly, I I did more homework on Damian Daniels out of Nebraska, the DT. I really liked what I saw out of him. I only saw one game, as I was getting through my flights, literally just connecting. As I was um, before my connecting flight, I was trying to watch a little bit, um, at the airport. Um, I think was it versus Baylor? I don't remember the exact game he played, but first quarter, this man made three plays really well, and so I think he's. A good interior like run stuffer he's kind of like another roy lopez you can find late in the draft you can always find those those uh you know run down defensive linemen um late he's big, like kind of well built body plays low to the ground has pretty good get off for for a guy in the trenches um and just does his job man just does his job reset the line of scrimmage hold versus double teams does the the not sexy you know work in the trenches so i think we need more of that so i liked him um, I think Tristan McCollum is also the other guy, Zion McCollum's brother, who got like a 10 out of 10 on the RAS. Tristan got like a 9.8 or something like that. So very athletic dude, good size, good speed. He'll be interesting as kind of a developmental project. Um, but yeah, other than that, not too not too crazy for a UDFA class, honestly.
0: Yeah. Now, if, if you watch Myron Cunningham from Arkansas if you watch his tape against Bama I think there's a very easy argument to be made he's better than Petit Frere that went to the Titans because oh. I didn't rate him at all I know you didn't yeah. uh, I saw you tweet about that so if you watch his tape against Bama it's the only game I watched I thought watch him against the, you know one of the top top ranked Nice. it's pretty good Pretty athletic, reasonable, solid, you know, solid. Again, I don't know. Again, potentially reported, but we'll see. I think there's definitely something there, you know. And if you can find a left tackle, you know, and this is, I think these are the small kind of diamonds that are off, bits of gold in the mind that we're going to have to find. Because mm-hmm. say, for example, Cunningham could come in and just say Titus, uh, Titus Howard's locked down at right and Tudsel turns around and said look I'm I'm going to retire I'm going to go and do whatever the hell I want to do and you go that's alright we've found my current. you know and if you could find something like that that just yeah. keeps the trajectory of that team because we can't afford to lose building blocks and you know it's a guy like that ticks all the boxes maybe needs a bit of development the pros came out of big school Is something like that so yeah I thought he was interesting and Jake Hansen was just a classic you knew he was going to get at least one yeah. Illinois defensive defender so you know reasonably limited but, but we shall see um but overall, do you think this team's outlook and the Davis Mills picture has changed based on this draft?
1: Um, I think this team's outlook has definitely gone a lot more optimistic. And I think what they've done is kind of really tried to help form the identity that they want. They keep preaching about being a fast team, playing fast, playing tough, playing smart. And I think they've done that, you know, with the, with the DBs, like Stingley, Petrie, Harris plays really fast too. Um, and then the toughness between Petrie, between Green, between Pierce and Booker—they've like really tried to form that identity. So that's kind of the outlook I'm looking for. The team is, is something I've been asking for for so long. Just have form an identity, man. Like I don't know what these Houston Texans are doing, um, but now they're kind of—it it seems like things are coming into into the picture. You know what I mean? The picture's coming together. So I'm liking that. Um, as for Mills, I guess it kind of seems like they're pretty invested in him as the guy. Um, at least for this year, they didn't make any quarterback picks, and and you know how Nick Casario loves to to get a mid late round quarterback. So, yeah, I think they're pretty pretty confident in him. It seems like.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Cause I mean, I, I tweeted out. I, I thought that this weekend was the first time that it felt like we were taking material steps towards you know, the next phase, the yeah. post Watson era, which is great, it's exciting, you feel like you're finally moving on after all this kind of yeah. being in limbo, stuck in the mud kind of days and just getting game, pointless games. So, you know, there's actual young development or talent out there that you've actually invested in for the future. Um And I said someday it's a long, long process, though you still need another two good quality draft class after this, yep. plus a QB. And a uh, guy, Graham uh, Henderson, a uh, good, good friend of mine, he said but back, he said, I think we've already got the QB and I said well for me I don't think you can have that conversation until there is a number of weeks where Mills has got four quarters of consecutive starter level snaps and that didn't happen last season and when you take the wider if you, you know it's easy just to cherry pick the last few weeks but when you take the full sample size from last year going out the roster come sorry going out the starting lineup come back into it yep. um, that wasn't good enough you know it went from our watchable to kind of watchable to looking pretty promising and quite you know exciting um, but you know we, we got ripped apart by was it Brandon Allen uh, we got ripped apart by week <laughs> 6 week 15 not long ago at the end of the season so you know fluky kind of uh out of the the realms of norm can happen late this season. So you don't want to have fool's gold. So for me, Jordan, I've kind of, I sort of said a couple of weeks ago, I thought I expect Mills to start well, because if he doesn't, then it's fine. It's done. You know, if he doesn't start well and it's similar to last season, then we all know where we stand and so be it. But at least you'll know early. what, What my expectation is he will start well. Teams will adjust. And when those adjustments after four or five weeks of tape between that sort of week five, week six, to week eight, week nine, the bye week, that'll be the kind of you'll have two kind of almost kind of waves of the curve at that point then you'll be able to make an assessment because previously couldn't beat man coverage bad system bad play calls limited weapons bad season all the kind of stuff is when it gives a lack of run game etc so I think by that point of the bye week I think then we'll we'll know because it's almost kind of massive open air projections right now but at least by that point it would make sense certainly on paper from a kind of methodology point of view that will have we'll have a good sample size by then
1: yeah and that's really what it is is getting a better more consistent sample size because even the the great numbers that he put up in the second half of the season a lot of it was in garbage time and we're down two three plus scores some of it that Rams game they brought in their backups in like the third quarter like so there's there's certain things you can cherry pick and say hey like let's see this again in a four six eight game sample um, you know, after a year, after teams have kind of figured out the scouting report on you, like you said, making those adjustments is absolutely huge. And I, and I believe in Pep you know, put him in a pretty good position to succeed. I think throughout this offseason, we've we've supported the quarterback position a little bit better. You know, we got a, a weapon in John Mechie, added an offensive lineman in, in Kenny Green, running back in Damian Pierce and Marlon Mack. Like he's got more weapons, a little bit more help in the trenches. We got rid of Tim Kelly, should have a better mind back there in terms of play calling with Pep Hamilton. So it seems like slowly but surely, you know, they're supporting that quarterback position um, better than they have in the past.
0: Another part of my response to that tweet was, you know, we're all assuming that Pep will do the things that he thinks right in those suit mills. But there's a whole paradigm shift there that, you know, you can't necessarily, you know, account for the fact that it will be all positive and all, and and, yep. and yep. exemplify and project skills greater, you know, and I think that's a different oh. variable that go through. And I think people have just thinking it's going to be super florious and everything will go well. And I think that, that's going to take time to embed and learn as well. So, you know, that there's a big element of unknown there, I think. Yeah. that's the Oh
1: man. You know. Do you see the the Lonnie?
0: That's it. Yeah. So breaking <laughs> news while we're on here, uh the Texans have traded Lonnie Johnson for a conditional 2024 seventh round pick. So literally the least you could possibly ever give yeah. up uh, for Lotto. So he was making an off-season program about him this year, and he's been traded. He said earlier today he requested that from the team. Jordan, what's your what's your kind of view on that?
1: You know, it, it kind of sucks because it was a it was a wasted asset at this point. Yeah, he spent a yeah. second round pick, pretty I think it was pretty highly, like at least mid second or high second round pick on him, and he was you know a developmental corner that needed to have time. You know, it was like a two three year window to, to give him and they messed that up they played him at safety they moved him around back to corner all these different times they didn't have him give him enough time to prepare in the offseason. and this was supposed to be his one off season where hey i can just focus on one position just cornerback and see where it goes from there because he's a spirited guy he's an emotional guy he he wants to make it in the nfl i feel like that's kind of my takeaway from from him and, and, and his tweets you know he he wants to fulfill his dream you know and and it may come off wrong ways to some people at sometimes but hey man he's an emotional guy i like that um so I, i wish him all the best man going to the chiefs it's a good situation if he's gonna you know figure it out that's probably gonna be the place for it to happen it's funny because you know i feel like one of the biggest moments that we saw of him to be optimistic about is when he played pretty decent coverage against travis kelsey you know? Yeah, and now yeah. he's going to go probably back best and game. play with yeah. him so it's interesting man but what are your thoughts on it?
0: Well it's not his fault that they moved him around position exactly. that he was messed around from a developmental aspect um, and so from that point of view I do side with him uh, but it was the fact that it was probably a bit of hard headedness when he's backpedaling, you know into the second row uh, of the end zone when he didn't understand depth and it, it wasn't even just a misunderstanding of safety it was a complete disregard for learning the position it seemed like and that's on the coaching staff as well um, or the, the previous coaching staff so it's a shame I think when you think I can't remember if it was him or Sharp was the exact pick from the Dwayne Brown trade I think it was him but when you think you traded away your left tackle when you had to reinvest in the, in the, in the squad that pick had to hit both Lonnie, both Sharp, and we talked about at the start. Have effectively been replaced. Sharp, and, you know, from by all accounts. Doesn't love football that all that much, and you can you know if you kind of I hate to kind of take views of guys on social media, but when you see him and his wife, kind of feels like they feel like they've made it, and they're not too, you know, and not necessarily all about the grind and uh, and what it what it means to be you know a pro lineman. Um, and I know be speaking out of turn. He might be. She seems like a nice guy, but um, it's certainly not. It's certainly not worked out for him, and he's been moved around position as well. So there's a common theme between those two guys. You know, the coaches staff changes. People view them in different ways. Changes, but both those guys. I'd be surprised if Sharpen makes the roster this year uh, with the way they've invested, um, and Lonnie's gone for a seven-round pick. And to make today worse, not to end of a while, but Scotty Phillips has been waived. No! The guy that never was. The right. <laughs> guy that never was, One the guy away. I uh, hope the best for it. Yeah. Like,
1: I just couldn't stay healthy, man. Couldn't get on the field. It sucks.
0: Well, that's it. If he didn't play last year with David Johnson with the ghost of... Um, Philip Lindsay. Uh, then, yeah, he was never gonna. He was never gonna play. But, but yeah, I think you know overall, Jordan, positive weekend, exciting weekend to be back at the top of the draft again. It feels like we've taken steps forward. I think they're still going to have to maybe add, add another one, if not, you know, maybe more, you know, veterans to the defense to try and kind of shoot it up a little, particularly on the edge. But overall, I think you know a good weekend and. uh and it feels, it feels like the corners finally turned. Cause I think people like to convince themselves last year of it, but you knew that until this draft class when we had traded Watson and all that kind of stuff as pick, but you've got to hit and I think, you know, those six first round picks we've got, you know, another four over the next two years, you've got, to, you've got to have at least, you know, solid contributors and you've got to find some gems, whether that's undrafted free agents or second, third round guys that just play big roles for you. Exactly. We've got to find that. Uh, so... If you were to pick the star of this class in four years' time, who would it be? Oh man.
1: I'm that's hard. It's hard because you know, I think I'd narrow it down to to three guys for me. I think it's between Stingley, Petrie, and Mechie. Honestly, I'm I'm really high on Mechie. I'll probably go between Petrie or Stingley. Like, obviously, you, you'd think it'd be Stingley, the third overall pick is insane upside. Um, but you know, I'm gonna go Petrie. I like Jalen Petrie so much. He's been my guy since like October. I've loved him this entire process. You just he's just a football player. Like when you watch him, like you just know like he is a playmaker, he's a dog. I think he exudes everything that they want from a leader, from a, a worker. He was when I talked to him down in the senior bowl, like he was so self-aware and so much of a perfectionist, is that he always wanted to perfect his craft and just become the best player he can be. So I think he's generally going to, like he talks the talk and he's going to walk the walk too. He's going to get better every single year um, and he's going to be the star of this class in my opinion.
0: So when you saw Casario on the broadcast with ESPN, he's not very emotional guy, but when they talked about him uh, just after the Damian Pierce pick, he said, we're lucky to have him. And he gave a sort of broad smile, which is very, very, uncharacteristic of him and I thought at that point I thought yeah maybe there's more than I gave so then I started watching more tape and then you got fired up about it um, so no I'd, I'd probably agree with you I think it might be Stingly, but I'll caveat it I think it will be Stingly, but in kind of the sense it was like Jadavian where he was completely underappreciated. He was really great against the run. He was a decent pass rusher, had some injuries, didn't quite fulfill the potential. Now we don't have those terrible turf trades that he tore his meniscus, you know, week one after having a great preseason. So Touchwood, you know, Stingley can be healthy and he can be one of your top two, three players. But I think people will always maybe underappreciate him slightly just because where he was picked, like Jadavian. So that's my prediction for him. But I, I was glad we picked him because the the ceiling is there and I think. You know you want to get you know quality premier ball players at premium positions and we did that and this season's not about winning and, and, and i said this last year and people don't want to hear this but if there's a season to not do so well maybe have a little bit of bad luck it might be this year. Yep. So that's all I'll say on that. That's what I was gonna say. Is
1: I'm <laughs> imagine how how much ha- how happy we were in this draft class. We got two more of these with two first round picks in each of these years. So I'm so excited to do it all over again. I think this draft class, you know, last draft class, it looked really good, and everyone's saying, you know, Nick Sirianni hit on every pick. Of course, we don't know until a few more years down the road. But this draft class, it kind of helps back up, you know, getting more of that that bigger sample size of hey, Nick man, he, he knows what he's doing when it comes to drafting. Hiring head coaches, maybe that's that's another discussion for another day. But so drafting, an accountant, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> but if he can continue to draft like this, that will save him from making kind of some of those errors yeah. in the past because yeah. drafting is the best way to build your team. And so I'm, I'm feeling a lot more confident in like the process that they're taking to this draft. Yeah.
0: And I think this year as well, that, that like even if the results don't go your way, which is kind of expect them to do that, yeah. at least she can watch like week one versus week seven, where's Stingley at, yeah. Kenyon Green, where's these past sets versus, you know, and there's kind of, you can see that building, and for me, the sort of detail that kind of excites, because you can see the progress, not, you know, I'm watching some guy who I know will not be even here this summer, far less, you know, so it feels like this is year one, last year was year zero, but... That being said, if David Mills, Davis Mills, (laughs) David, (laughs) not the only one to do that, but if Dougie Mills goes in and does a good job, then, you know, and just say he's even a serviceable starter, um, and you can pick a guy, you can sit him in the next two years, the whole complexion of this changes again, so there's a lot to be decided, but Jordan, Mr. Texans underscore thoughts, got his new podcast out, killing it with the film reviews, one of the hardest working man out there, I appreciate you my man, Uh, thanks again for your time, always appreciate it because I know you're busy
1: good i appreciate you so much it's always fun talking about it we have the same mind and the same way we look at football like through like the scouts point of view through the film point of view so i love talking about with you man so thank you so much man we have to do it again soon
0: yeah no definitely appreciate it man cheers